can't focus unless the gun is on the table. Nothing is normal or natural or everything is game. I'm gonna start a collection of puddings and coupons that can be redeemed for freaking fire miles. We have to get out of this building. They made soup out of my research department. See, this is the, the scene of the movie where you help me out. They'll never catch me because I'm f***ing innocent. Welcome to the <laughs> second episode of Wes versus Paul versus Paul versus Predator. I'm your host, oh, yeah. Jeremy Anderson. And who am I here with? Eric Thomas Anderson. Hello. <laughs> Jeremy, isn't it, ain't it funny how you used to be in the nuthouse and now I'm in jail? Yeah, right? <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> That's one of my favorite lines of anything. This is um a film full of great lines, great quotes. Eric, give me a little backstory on on your like uh Wes Anderson. Where are you at with him? So, if you were to ask me now, even before having watched Bottle Rocket again, um I've seen a va- the vast majority of West An- Wes Anderson films. Mm-hmm. Um I would have said Bottle Rocket is my favorite Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. Now, after rewatching Bottle Rocket, even more solidified is my favorite Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> yeah. But I'm excited to go back and watch more stuff. Uh, I've had like various uh, girlfriends and friends throughout the years where I've wound up going to see plenty of Wes Anderson films in the in the theater. Um, I don't. I don't love all of his stuff, but mm-hmm. when something's good, I really like it. I really like Life Aquatic. I really like this movie. Um, I had a big Rushmore obsession for a little while uh, in college, um, so I like his stuff. But I when it, it when it gets into like Isle of Dogs, uh, I didn't like very much. Mm-hmm. I don't like his non live action stuff. Right. Like I can appreciate the craft of it, but I don't. Uh, I don't know. It just doesn't work for me. It's not your favorite. And yeah, but that being said, I think I, I'm most excited to go back and really because he co-wrote this. He co-wrote Bottle Rocket and I think uh, Rushmore with Owen Wilson. Yes, that's. And I'm really excited to watch all of the all of the films that Owen Wilson and and Luke Wilson are in. Yeah. I think that's a good combo. <laughs> that is it's a good team. Uh Anderson yeah. and the Wilson boys, including what is it, Andrew Wilson, the oldest brother who makes an appearance mm. in this film and Rushmore oh. and Tenenbaums. He plays a uh, um Future Man. Oh, great. That's uh great. Andrew Wilson. Uh you can yeah. really the look you can kind of tell by the way he looks, but mostly by the accent because that Wilson boy accent it just it you can't unhear it you know it it's so uh iconic but uh um, right but that being said before we get too deep into the episode we got a little housekeeping to take care of uh patreon.com slash eric and jeremy we've got so many great pieces of bonus content for this show and all the other previous shows that we've done there they all live there and for five dollars a month you can get access to a back catalog now that I believe is like, oh, uh, if it's not a, at a hundred episodes deep, it's getting close to a hundred episodes it's deep. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's, it's too much, too much content to, to, <laughs> to digest. Truly. You're going to need, you're going to need two people 
to take it to take it down. You're gonna need a, you and another person if you want to get through all this content. Four years are required. <laughs> yeah, but you got You still gotta sign up for two memberships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't share <laughs> memberships. No sharing. Uh, so what we're doing in September for the Patreon is we're doing Mafia Month. It's a you know it came from the criminally insane mind of Eric Koppel over here. He devised oh, yeah. this plan to only do mobster movies for September. Why September? I, I well we'll never know, or maybe we'll find out. You honestly, uh, you sign is, up and you'll see. <laughs> the only thought that went into it was I was listening to a podcast about the mafia and I <laughs> wanted to watch Casino. Mm-hmm. And now I try and figure any time I watch a movie and try and figure out a way to like also do a podcast. <laughs> about of course, it. yeah, because we're broken, Eric. We we can't just enjoy things. You know, we uh, exactly. have to once we consume it, we have to then go. And uh, turn it into art somehow. Turn it into work. Boy, I just called this podcast art. I must be drunk. What time is it? <laughs> um, okay, so patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. Lots of good stuff going on over there. Uh, this week, we covered Casino by Martin Scorsese, 1995. Last week, we covered uh, The Untouchables by Brian De Palma and um, TBD on what is to come there. Of course, in October, I would say that's our most um, bountiful month as far as the the podcasting harvest is concerned. We will be covering oh, yeah. spooky, scary movies all through the month of October on the Patreon. And that is the month I'm, I'm always just longing for. All year long, I'm waiting. I'm biding my time. When do we get to go back and do scary movies on the Patreon? Well, no, Jeremy... I, I'm calling it right now. I think I don't know if you saw the trailer today, but I think we're gonna have to do a, an episode on Hubie Halloween. Oh, absolutely! The new Adam Sandler Halloween. I cannot film. wait. I cannot wait. <laughs> October sixth, everyone. October sixth, Hubie Halloween comes out. Boy, that it that movie looks, looks really good. Like it, it looks genuinely so looks good. like on the level of a water boy. It it look. You know what? It's thank you for saying that. I felt like his character is also reminiscent. It's like as if the water boy grew up. That's what that exactly. character reminded me of. Yeah, it's uh, it's Bobby Boucher's transformation. Ugh, I can't wait. Speaking of movies that are coming out, we don't have to talk about this for too long, but it's it's been on the top of my mind. Do you see there's a movie coming out Friday the 13th in November where a teenage girl, I believe the premise is a teenage girl switches bodies with Vince Vaughn. Oh, that's why Vince Vaughn was all over Twitter today. Yeah. No, um, I, I watched it's that. one much like most videos on Twitter. I watched it halfway through without sound, so I didn't really get much of the gist of it. Great. But, uh, Perfect. I don't know. I mean, we might have to do that one, too. It looks really stupid. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm always down to randomly take a detour into <laughs> something really, really stupid. Is this a uh, film called Freaky? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. As in like Freaky Friday? I guess. <laughs> I Are we done? I thought we were done with body switching movies. It's right. like everyone does it because it's like easy. It's a rite of passage. You kind of got to do it. Uh, I'll say yeah. that um, uh, Freaky, I don't, I you know, who knows if this is going to be what this is going to be. Good, bad, um, hilarious is directed by the guy who directed Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to You, which I find to be very fun movies. <laughs> I like them a lot. I don't know if you've ever seen these, Eric. Have you seen Happy Death Day? 
I have. I was unaware. I actually was unaware. Like I said, watched half the trailer without sound. Didn't even realize that it's necessarily a horror horror. I thought it was more of a comedy kind of a thing. It but, might be. Uh, it might be. I just I just like the, this guy's horror. style. I think he's got a good style for a... For okay, a- so she swaps bodies with a der- deranged serial killer. Okay, that's all right. Yeah. Okay, so, she, so Vince Vaughn's the killer. She's the... She's like a normal teen, so now the teen is going to be a killer, and Vince Vaughn, who is a killer, will be a teen. Okay. Uh, I guess that's a fresh enough take on the body switching. <laughs> I, I do still think we're probably done with those after. <laughs> I would, you know what? I, maybe I shouldn't even say this on air, and maybe this is something that I should, I should try and write because it would be funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, body switching movie with Santa. Yeah. Someone switches bodies with <laughs> It kind of sounds like they kind of covered that in the Santa Claus a little bit, but oh, I guess man. that was him becoming Santa. Um, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it could just be a subplot in uh, Undercover Uncle. Yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, Act One is going strong. <laughs> is it really? Still, still working on. It. Yeah, I'm still working on it. I've kind of. It's like I I've been going back and forth between writing projects, and when I want to write something incredibly stupid, I work on my slapstick comedy un- undercover uncle mm-hmm. yeah so. perfect that's where all the good so ideas Jeremy, go what is your uh what's your history with wes anderson you know not unlike uh most uh m- middle class white teenagers of the mid 90s and mid 2000s i w- adored wes anderson from the moment i laid eyes on his films uh, that twee style, eccentric little safe pastel style of Wes Anderson, I found to be very charming. Although when I first saw a movie of his, Royal Tenenbaums, that was the first film I saw of his, I didn't get it. I didn't get the humor um, at all. Like I thought it was boring and bad. And then later I watched it with friends and I saw them laughing at certain jokes and I realized like it kind of like included me in it clued me into like what's the beat of this movie like what is funny about it and what kind of humor is this it's incredibly dry if you blink you might miss the whole gag of a scene um and I grew to really appreciate and really love that style I like every one of his films and a handful of them I absolutely love. And, you know, you know, what else can you say about, you know, I'm, I'm excited for everyone that comes out. I did like Isle of Dogs a lot, although I do agree with you. His, his live action features to me, uh, they're definitely more like emotionally impactful, I think than like his Mm. animated films, which I think feel, like uh, just kind of straight up comedies for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, I think he's great. Yeah. I, I think he's a hell of a director. I find it shocking that more directors do not try to rip him off because a lot of directors will rip off the greats, right? Like you see a lot of Tarantino clones out there or uh, a lot of Spielberg clones out there, but you don't actually see a lot of Wes Anderson clones. Like, there's not that many movies that 
are trying to rip off his style. And I really, I've never been able to figure out why, because he's, I think his film, the look of his films are so iconic and so impressive. It just doesn't really, it doesn't make any sense. It's kind of like a cute version of Stanley Kubrick. That's what I would say the look of his films are to me. Do What do you think? Do you kind of agree with that? Yeah, I, I think, I think so. It's like yeah. cute. It's like cartoony Kubrick or something. Cause he, cause he always uses those giant master wide shots. <laughs> those like epic yes. wides that are like really reminiscent of Kubrick to me. And then, but it's always like in the frame is something like really cute, like a really twee looking tree. <laughs> that's like perfectly in the center of the frame. <laughs> right. And, and, somebody, and then there's uh, just like tons of little inserts. Yeah. You'll just see like a watch. <laughs> Like, 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 uh, like when he's picking up the leaf out of the pool, I was like, oh, that's feels like Wes Anderson thing. There's moments in Bottle Rocket where I'm like, oh yeah, okay. That's, that's, uh, that he still, he had that in the beginning and he just didn't have like, this was his first film. That's what I, I guess that's what I love so much about Bottle Rocket is we get to see Wes Anderson before he's able to like, not that I don't like. How, how like stylized the Darjeeling Limited is, or mm-hmm. any of those movies. Mm-hmm. But I do like, I like what he does working on a budget like this. And you can always uh, a, a small budget, and you can always tell with like a first movie. We even got this a little bit with shopping, where it's like, I mean, you can tell that the person making it like really gave a, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean. I would say shopping maybe a little less so, but still. <laughs> it's just that shopping didn't really have... What, I mean, what is the difference, right? Well, one is they're trying to make an action... Both movies are kind of trying to make an action film. One is just more sincerely trying to make an action film, and the other one has an artistic, creative take on a heist yeah. film or an action film. I, I think that's the thing about Anderson to me is style. It's just like he's dripping with style. A lot of people think he's style over substance. They find his movies to be actually really trite in, 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 in like maybe the emotional core, the themes of the film are sacrificed for style. Would, would you agree with that? Do you, what do you think? Um, I, I don't know if I can agree with that yet. I think I'm I, I'm pretty foggy on the everything after Rushmore. Okay, perfect. Part. Well, that's so a lot I'll of movies, to, so that's good. You're gonna yeah, you're, it's, it's gonna be a treat for you. Yeah. So I've basically seen every almost every one of his films, like pretty much around the time that it came out, and then mm-hmm. haven't watched them again. So, uh, so yeah. Great. Uh, well, we're going to get into Bottle Rocket here in just a second, but a little bit on Anderson himself, just a couple of little factoids. Uh, you know, he was born in in uh, Wesley Wales Anderson, which is the most British name I've ever heard. He uh, graduated from the University of Texas at Austin, which is a pretty prestigious film school. Um, mm. He got his start around 1992, where he made a, a short film, that preceded Bottle Rocket that got him funding to make the entire feature. He pals around with the Wilson brothers around this time in the early 90s, and he would go on to make many more films with both of them. Um, uh, And then, you know, at some point, Luke kind of drops off and Owen sticks around. You know, Luke kind of dropped off the whole planet a little bit. Like, you don't really see Luke Wilson that much 
anymore. Yeah. And then and then and now you don't see Owen Wilson so much anymore. But for a while, it, it kind of was like you saw them both, and then not so much Luke, and then now not so much Owen. Um, but yeah, I, what I like about uh, Wes Anderson is that he sort of has a repertoire or like a you almost would call it like a company of actors that he pulls from um some of these actors include bill murray jason schwartzman uh obviously owen wilson angelica houston uh adrian brody um now you could uh throw in even um jeff goldblum uh and his writing partners always include really cool people like He'll write a film, you know, with uh, not just Owen Wilson, but Jason Schwartzman, Roman Coppola, uh, and um, Noah Baumbach uh, have all been uh, uh, collaborators of his. Mm. Um, yeah. Is there anything about um, Wes Anderson that you wanted to cover or that you were interested in? No, you know, I actually forgot to do the part about like researching his background, so I'm glad that you did that. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, I don't totally. know. I, I yeah, I, I don't really know that that much about him. Um, yeah, he got in so, good yeah. with the Coppolas. Like that's one thing about him that is you should understand, or people need to understand. I think, and and when you're considering Wes Anderson, is that he's he's like a uh, he's like one of these old timey Renaissance men who like you know he sips you know brandy and he and he wears like old suits Mm. that don't really fit him and stuff he's like he's like a he's like a character in one of his movies in real life and he pals around with uh the likes of the coppolas and um and uh other sort of like high society high film society people all of his films are released through the criterion which should tell you something about him (laughs) like he is a very particular man with his particular ways and considers the art of filmmaking a craft for which he is very particular isn't uh schwartzman jason schwartzman uh related to, to the coppolas he is that's right and so is obviously roman coppola and Sophia Brilliant. Coppola, a close friend of his also. Um, yeah, Jason Schwartzman, and we'll get to that in the Rushmore episode, but he was recommended, I believe, by the Coppolas to do the film. And uh, has, still had to audition and everything, but um, but yeah. So a couple things about Bottle Rocket, the film itself. Uh, this movie bombed in the box office. <laughs> yeah. It did. Yeah not do well. It has a $5 million budget and it made about $500,000 back. Um, you know, I, I don't know like what is the, how much of a big deal this was. Maybe it was a big deal, but like a first film by a, a by a first director, like are you kind of supposed to take kind of a hit on this? Like, isn't it sort of just so yeah. you could do a better project next time? I mean, I don't, I guess I don't really know how it works, but apparently after the movie bombed at the box office, Owen Wilson seriously considered joining the Marines, <laughs> convinced yeah, that wow. acting held no future for him. <laughs> I love that it's just um, just like cold, hard combat or acting. Totally, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, they're Texas boys, so, you know, sure. uh, you know their, their scope of what the world can do for them is probably limited at this time. <laughs> they're not, right, like, thinking... Right clearly they're also in their early 20s i mean early 20s like um you know maybe anderson might have been a little older let's see 69 so he would have been by 1992 he would have been 30 
23, 26 when the movie came out. Yeah. So he would have been in his late, like mid to late twenties, but the, the, the Wilson brothers would have been a little younger. Um, this movie though, uh, has definitely a cult following. You could definitely say that. And it put Anderson in a position to make better films or, or different films later on. Uh, this is one of Martin Scorsese's top 10 favorite films of the nineties. Nice. So for all you casino heads out there, uh, Scorsese rated this one of his favorites. Um, yes. Uh, Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson completely rewrote and reshot the beginning of the film when Sundance initially refused the film. So they couldn't even get this into Sundance, which is like yeah. crazy. Have you ever seen the the short? Isn't there like a short film version? No, or, or I haven't seen an it. Earlier version. There is an earlier version. I have not seen it. I will. Um, I am ordering the Criterion Blu-ray though, so oh, cool. it'll be on there, and I'll and I'll watch it, and I can report back. Um, I'm trying to do that, Eric, for these for these episodes. I'm if there's a Criterion release of the films that we cover, I'm trying to buy them for my collection. But, Love it, but uh, that's gonna be, that's gonna get expensive so, with Wes Anderson here. But <laughs> is Mortal Mortal Kombat? Man, I wish it. I wish it was. It it <laughs> so deserves to be in there. Long live Mortal Kombat. Yeah. Um, James L. Brooks insisted that major work be done on the script, so he had Wes Anderson and <laughs> Owen Wilson flown to Los Angeles and set up in an office with one hundred dollars a day. <laughs> Having never flown first class in his life, Wilson tried to exchange his prearranged first class plane ticket for a coach ticket, hoping to pocket the difference in cash instead. (laughs) When the airline told him the money would just go back to the credit card of who bought the ticket, he gave in and flew first class for the first time. That's so... I I love that, dude. This reminds me of being in college with my friends back in Texas. Like, we were such dirtbags in the same way. Like, trying... Always trying to find where the scam was you know like right. where, where could we scam this in a way that we came out on top somehow <laughs> oh yeah um yeah uh there's a lot of like uh you know family dna inside of this film i would say probably more than any other anderson film other than bombs. but the wilson um Will, the wilsons and wes anderson Got Dignan's name from a good friend, Stephen Dignan. All three Wilson brothers are characters in the film, though they do not play people related to each other. Um, and uh, yeah, like they would repeat this trend over and over again. Like they have a friend named Brian Tenenbaum. That's how they got the name Royal Tenenbaums. Um, so yeah. So uh, I, did you met? You didn't mention anything about Robert Yeoman yet, did you? No, not yet. The, Robert the Yeoman, Y E O M A N, the cinematographer. Um, he did. He was the st- cinematographer for Drugstore Cowboy. Yeah, hell yeah. Apparently, but he uh, he worked on the on Bottle Rocket, and Wes Anderson liked him, so he's. I don't know if he does cinematography for every film, but he does. He's on the camera. He's got a camera in his hand for all the. Uh, all the movies going forward. So I, I like that. I like that. Like David Lynch had a, had a guy, had mm-hmm. Peter Deming. Right. It's cool. No, it's, it's, it's incredibly cool. Like, and they develop such a shorthand that when they work together now, I mean, it's like, I mean, it's a language. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it is a language that they speak, that these films speak. And it's different than other films. Like, I don't, you know, it's different than other yeoman films. 
And, right. And, and it's, I, it's like when when you and I are writing these podcast episodes. Right. We just like we've been doing it for over a year, so we just know what the other person's thinking. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> we could finish each other's Sandwiches. podcasts. Okay. Um. So. Yeah, I mean that's all I have to say about Bottle Rocket as far as like trivia goes. Do, uh, other than that, I would say that this is like one of the most quotable movies of all time. So if one of us suddenly busts into a a, a quote, you know, uh, for forgive us in advance. It's just that I'm incredibly excited to be covering this as this is like one of my favorite films and like one of my favorite filmmakers. So. Uh, this is very exciting. Similar, similar will be the uh, attitude going into the Paul Thomas Anderson stuff too. Where oh yeah, I would also say oh, yeah. a favorite of mine. But uh, Eric, you ready to get into the plot? Let's dive in. Okay. In Arizona, Dignan rescues quote unquote his friend Anthony from a voluntary <laughs> psychiatric unit where he has been staying for self-described exhaustion. Dignan has an elaborate escape plan. Uh, and has developed a 75-year plan that he shows to Anthony. The plan is to pull off several heists and then meet up with a Mr. Henry, a landscaper and part-time criminal known to Dignan. So, uh, Eric immediately, you know, lights up. You know, uh, we get the Paramount logo uh, or Columbian Pictures logo. Uh, he's the first frame of the film is this breakout what, what what's going through your mind uh it's really funny uh i love the checking into a mental institution for exhaustion yeah um i love we, we we'll get to it a little later but his dialogue with his little sister about that about him being yes. exhausted but yeah, I mean, I love Dig Dignan's like one of the best i was trying to think of like what are other movies that are kind of like this, like low budget comedy, kind of like something you could almost shoot, like anyone could shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, not like as well as this, but I was thinking like like a bottle rocket mm-hmm. or or a not bottle rocket, uh, hot rod. Yeah, came to mind. I was like, yeah, it's kind of like hot roddy. Very but, much, uh, yeah. Yeah, I it's very funny. I you know I'm interested to see. I did look it up, and it looks like Owen Wilson also wrote, uh, co-wrote Royal Tenenbaums. So I'm interested to see how the like co- the comedy in Wes Anderson's films change, if at all, because I do think like a lot of these, a lot of the funniest parts. I have this hunch, a lot of the funniest parts revolve around Dignan, right? For me, and I have this hunch that like. Dignan was like Owen Wilson was like writing a lot of that. Um, yeah, that's because I don't good, remember. Uh, uh, like I don't remember the later Wes Anderson films having like. I don't remember like laughing out loud as much at uh, you know Darjeeling Limited or whatever. Like this movie's just very very funny in in like a smart way too. Not that Wes Anderson's not smart as a writer, but like there's like a wittiness to it that I don't necessarily associate with all of his films that's a that's a really interesting observation i wonder if we will start to notice stuff like that i i would definitely say that later wes anderson films and i mean immediately following bottle rocket i think bottle rocket is actually more unique in this way in that it is the least stuffy of wes anderson's films like it kind of almost feels like a hangout movie 
even though it's a total it's a total heist film but it 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 almost operates like a hangout movie in that you kind of like to just watch Luke Wilson and Owen Wilson just hanging out on screen they're both like uh you know we talked a lot about this with the jackass episode we did for the patreon but this idea of like capturing friends being friends on screen is like a, an idea that i'm getting more and more excited about and 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 like it more and more when I can identify it in films. So like with Jackass, you know, you got this crew of guys who's, they're all friends with each other and that comes through and it's that sort of warmth that's becomes really addictive and really exciting. And with this film, I found myself thinking of the same thing. We're like, I love watching Luke Wilson and Owen Wilson just on screen. They just robbed Luke Wilson's uh, mom's house or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and they're just going through, okay, what was good about it and what was bad about it. Like, uh, you know, and it's just, it's just so funny that they're so they're there's, they like each other so much. And that really comes through on screen. I mean, did you kind of get a similar vibe too? that? Like, it, even though there is this Wes Anderson twee charming quality to it, it, it also did feel very genuine and very oh, yeah. unique. Yeah. yeah. It feels like friends making a, a movie together. Totally. It's, it's great. Yeah, and I think you're right that Dignan stands out as one of the more well-realized characters in Wes Anderson's whole repertoire. I mean, I would also give that crown to, like, Jason Schwartzman in Rushmore. I think he is, like, an iconic character. Uh, Also, Bill Murray in Rushmore, you know? Um, There's a few other characters, like Gene Hackman in Royal Tenenbaums, I think is a very well-realized character. But I do think that you're right. You're kind of right. When you think about films like the Darjeeling limited, I, I like that film, but the three brothers don't really stand out to me that much. Like there's not one character in that film. I would point to and be like, that's the, that's what this film is about. Um, and so, yeah, maybe it loses a little bit of an emotional stake when you're, when you can't really identify with a character on screen, but it's definitely not the case here because Dignan and to a way lesser extent, Anthony, and to a way lesser extent, Bob, are pretty great characters and pretty well realized and pretty like you yeah. can distinguish them from each other. Owen Wilson at this point in his life also like he's like a very good looking he's like a good looking man when he's like grown up. Mm-hmm. But there's something about like an early twenties Owen Wilson where he's kind of like. Uh, goofy looking. So not that I'm goofy. not goofy looking, but like <laughs> it's it's fun. It's really funny to see like a young Owen Wilson. He's like kind of awkward. Uh, totally. he, there's just not a lot of people that look like that guy. Totally. Um, as a practice heist, the two friends break into Anthony's family's house, stealing specific items from a previously agreed upon list. Afterward, critiquing the heist, <laughs> Dignan reveals that he took a pair of earrings not specified on the list. This upsets Anthony as he had pr- uh, purchased the earrings for his mother as a gift and specifically left them off the list. Anthony visits his little sister at her school and asks her to return the earrings. Dignan recruits Bob Maplethorpe as a getaway driver because he is the only person they know with a car. Three of them buy a gun and yeah, return to... So- okay, yeah. Bob Maplethorpe, just to, because I'm a little unclear. So he lives with, he's got this older brother, right? Right, right. And they live in this really nice house. Mm -hmm. How is that? Yeah, well, I think you, I always got the idea that like, we just never saw the parents 
but that they okay. all just still live with their parents. Yeah, yeah. I, that's kind of what I thought too. Because <laughs> Bob is like, even though he's 26, he says in the film, and he is always dressed in like a suit for some reason, he looks like he acts like a baby for most of the film. And his brother, like uh, Andrew Wilson's character of Future Man, just beats the shit out of him like an older brother would. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like they're like really stuck in the past or something. They're like stuck in youth in, in, a, in a way. Right. Um, but yeah, this scene where Dignan recruits Bob Maplethorpe. Well, first let's talk about the scene with the sister. Cause that is to me, very iconic bottle rocket where she's just like very, um, what's the word when like a little kid is like way too smart for their own good. It's like, uh, uh hmm. I don't know, but yeah. she's de- that definitely is a good way to describe her. Totally. She's, she's smarter than than uh, Luke Wilson. For sure, yeah. She tells her <laughs> friends that he's a fighter pilot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this, like, really hurts his feelings, which I think is so funny that she, like, gets really under his skin and basically yeah. <laughs> calling him out for still hanging out with Dignan and stuff. Um, so then this uh, interview that Dignan has with Bob Maplethorpe is like, it's so funny because it's, they're two, you can tell that they're friends and that he, Dignan is trying to like make them in a situation where he, like Bob needs to sell himself to Dignan, even though Dignan already knows Bob. It's like, right. it's like, <laughs> no, sell me on why you'd be good at this. And Bob's trying, but he like admits right off the bat, like, Dignan, I'm not good at selling myself. This is this whole thing. I'm not good at this. He's like, the truth is, I'm the only one you know with a car. <laughs> it's like, and Dignan just gives in. He's like, you know what? That that worked because it got me right here. You know, it, it, yeah. the whole thing yeah. is so silly. Um, and then, yeah, the three of them buy a gun and return to Bob's house to plan their next heist, which is going to be at a local bookstore. The group bickers as Dignan struggles to describe his intricate plan. I believe the line that he says as he storms out of the room is, uh, how does an asshole like Bob get such a great kitchen? (laughs) 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 Um, Or or the line right before that uh, where Owen Wilson's like, he's like, say it, say it one more time. And, And then Bob's like, I bought the gun. And he goes, all right, he's out. And you're out too. And I don't think I'm in anymore either. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah, it's great. It, it's so funny. And just the, you know, there's something so realistic and stupid about them buying a gun and then everyone at the table wants to play with the gun they just bought. Like, they, yeah, they're yeah. so drawn to touching it. <laughs> that scene when, when uh, Owen and Luke Wilson step out for a second and Bob, like, just gets one click in real quick <laughs> yeah. and then sets it down. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so funny. So their plan is to rob a uh, a bookstore. Um, now I did notice something this 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 view, and I want to check in with you if you notice this too. But do we ever get a reason like why any of them want to be criminals? Like why do they want to do this at all? No. Okay. No. <laughs> I yeah. don't think so. Which it's weird that I've never asked myself that question before because I don't really think it's an element that's missing from the film. I just thought of it today and I was like, huh, that's weird. Like not only do they not tell us why they want to do any of this, but I also don't care. 
Yeah, neither do I actually. That's um I guess that's the mark of a good film. I think so. It's also the mark of a very relatable idea, which is that like you know, there's something yeah. adventurous in them that we all just identify with. Yes. And also being like uh, I don't know if it's established exactly how old their characters are, but you get the sense that they're like a little over the cusp of, you know, being adults right. and uh, are still very much just large children. Right. And uh, I, I feel like anyone who's lived through that period of their life can just be like, yeah, of course. Why? Like, of course, someone like that would want to, you know, just never have to work in their life. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um although it does seem like Dignan is just really into the the art of the heist. Right. And 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 as his character progresses throughout the film, you get the sense that Dignan kind of just it's like he's seen too many heist movies or something. He just really wants to be in any part of the heist, whether it be holding someone up with a gun, stealing money or getting arrested. He loves it all. Like he loves every part of the yeah. life of crime, which is, it's it's so adorable in a way. And I think, you know, again, now I don't know why I keep comparing it to Jackass, but kind of like Jackass, there is something about him, because he doesn't want to hurt anybody, You, it's really charming. You know, um, right. if he was wanting, if, if there was an element of this where he was trying to scare anybody or hurt anybody, I think the film would be a lot weaker because you... They would be anti-heroes as opposed to what they are, which is like knuckleheads. <laughs> right. <laughs> so the group steals a small sum of money from the bookstore and go on the lamb. Uh, stopping to stay at a motel, Anthony meets Inez, one of the motel maids, and the two spark a romance despite their language barrier. Inez speaks little English and Anthony barely any Spanish. So one of the big chunks that was skipped over here was the robbery itself, which infinitely funny. I mean, this is kind of a laugh, a lot of laugh out loud moments here. Uh, the first one is just how they get into the bookstore is so stupid. Like it's Luke Wilson yeah. knocking on the glass. The guy's like, no, we're closed. And he's like, I left my sweater in here. Is there like a lost and found? And so the guy ends up actually letting him in the store. And then Owen Wilson comes up. And then the guy's like, no, you can't come in. He goes, well, what about that guy? <laughs> he points at Luke Wilson. like, <laughs> like <laughs> And they're both wearing the stupid tape on their <laughs> yeah. nose. So they're obviously associated with one another. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, totally. And I believe the line is somebody asks him, like, why do you have that tape on your nose? And Dignan answers, exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, just great stuff. Um, yeah. At some point, uh, Owen Wilson's trying to get all this money from a register they only have tiny bags and he's like, you know, put it in a bigger bag, you idiot. And then the old guy who's bagging the money just looks at him and goes, don't you call me an idiot. And Dignan immediately just is like, I'm so sorry, sir. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, would you please? Like he gets super polite. Like they don't know what they're doing on such a level. That's so funny in this scene. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's great. So then they do go on the lamb. I do like this little party scene that they have right after they steal from the bookstore where they're like kind of dancing and drinking. And uh, Owen Wilson makes some joke about like, 
you know, Bob gets the spirit award, you know, even though his cut's not going to be as big. And then Bob jumps up. He's like, what the hell do you mean? My cut's not going to be as big. And then Owen was like, you see that there? You don't cross this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Good stuff. Okay. So they're at the motel. They're on the lam. Uh, Anthony is starting to fall in love with Inez. Bob learns that his marijuana crop back home has been discovered by police and that his older brother has been arrested. Bob leaves his car the following day to help his brother without telling Dignan before leaving the motel themselves. Anthony gives Dignan an envelope to give to Inez. Dignan delivers the envelope to Inez while she is cleaning a room, not knowing that the envelope has most of his and Anthony's money inside. Inez does not open the envelope and hugs Dignan to say goodbye. As Dignan is leaving, Inez asks an English speaking male friend of hers to chase after Dignan and tell him that she loves Anthony when he delivers the message, he says, tell Anthony I love him. Dignan fails to realize he is speaking for Inez and does not deliver the message. <laughs> yeah, this is great. One of the funnier I love, parts. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love the Inez stuff. I like I, when he's uh, when he's like talking to her with the with the translator is mm-hmm. very funny. Yes. But yeah. Yeah. It's it's great. I also do think Dignan's reaction, although you know, it doesn't age super well. It's sort of a gay panicky joke here with the tell Anthony I love him. But I do think Dignan's reaction is still so funny when he like, he hears the guy say, tell Anthony I love him. And it's the longest pause. And then Dignan kind of turns around and goes, yeah, man, whatever. Okay. <laughs> like, he's just like, <laughs> he's just so like, doesn't know, doesn't know what to say at all. It's, it's so yeah. funny. Um, also, I love when uh, I guess he uh, Luke Wilson. I I keep what is his character's name again? Uh, is it uh, whose character? Luke's Luke Wilson. Anthony. Yeah, Anthony. I like when Anthony is having Inez and like all those people in his room, mm-hmm. and those two guys show up, and he's like, <laughs> "What does he say? He's making banana daiquiris for everyone." So funny. Um, Okay, so Dignan discovers a dilapidated but functional Alfa Romeo spider, which he breaks the windshield of with a... Uh, no, 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 that's later. But uh, he, he immediately jumps in to a very cool Rolling Stones song. And uh, they set off. Yes. Dignan and Anthony continue. This is kind of where we see that early... Um, the early, like, Wes Anderson using music in such a profound way. Yeah, so all the music in this, uh, there I believe there's like three or four licensed songs. There's this one, the Rolling Stones one. There's a really good pro- Proclaimers song mm-hmm. called Over and Done With. Yeah. Uh, there is uh, Zorro's Back, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's it. But Mark Mothersbaugh from Devo does... Uh, right. The, the rest of the music yeah mark mothersbaugh that's another collaboration with anderson that he would have for at least four or five films in a row i don't i, I know that he uh, at some point alexander desplat became his mm. composer but i think that was around moonrise kingdom or the fantastic okay. mixture fox whichever came out first but it was mark mothersbaugh for a long time um i think maybe ending with Dar- darjeeling limited but uh yeah this scene is really cool like him getting the car it has a it has a really cool feel to it and it kind of reminds me of something that you would see in a scorsese film or you know a tarantino film which is tarantino's doing scorsese when he's doing those moments 
but especially when it when it's like done to the Rolling Stones, it's hard to not go think Scorsese, Scorsese, Scorsese. You know, right? Um, the car breaks down, and eventually, uh, a down, a, sorry, the car breaks down eventually, and Anthony reveals the envelope Dignan gave to Inez contained the rest of their cash. The two get into a confrontation and go their separate ways. He hit, he slashes Luke Wilson's nose hard with a screwdriver. He does. So um, they go their separate ways. Narrating a letter to his sister, Anthony says that he and Bob have settled into a routine back at home that is keeping him busy. They're working on construction. They're doing a few other things. Dignan, who has joined Mr. Henry's gang, gang tracks Anthony down, and they reconcile. Dignan invites Anthony mm-hmm. to a heist with Mr. Henry and, An- and Anthony accepts on the condition that Bob is allowed into <laughs> the trio meet the eccentric Mr. Henry played by James Caan in a very, Oh, like I would say this is a wild performance of James Caan. Yeah. It's pretty, uh, he had fun with it. <laughs> yes, he did. Yeah. It, it is like, first of all, James Caan would have been the only celebrity of note when the time when this movie came out. I mean, he like, I think he is the yeah. only person maybe who had done a movie before this. Did they, they tried to get Bill Murray. I, I think I read like a thing, a trivia piece of trivia that they tried to get Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. Um, but, Oh, Bill Murray was considered for the role of Abe Henry. Abe Henry is James Conn's character, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, that, I, I'm kind of yeah. glad James Conn is in the film because it's just adds to like the absolute psycho weirdness of all of it. But I mean, yeah, because I mean, he uses Bill M- Murray in, in every single film after this. So, yeah. Um, no, yeah, I like I like James. I I think I would like James Conn more than Bill Murray in this. It's just role. so weird. Like I was noticing, j- like what. James Conn is wearing in the film and it's like did you see like some of his pants and like his socks and sandals and stuff yeah it's bizarre it's yeah he, it's really weird like when he when you first meet him he's wearing like a an a, like a very large shark tooth necklace right <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. it's it, I can't quite understand like what is the vibe of Mr. Henry other than just like super weird um I feel like they gave him a lot of like interesting specifics with no explanation. Like like him doing karate with that guy in his underwear. Like what the hell is that scene even about? <laughs> I forgot you know? about that. Yeah. Um so uh Mr. Henry becomes a role model for the trio, standing up to Bob's abusive brother and tutoring Dignan on success. He invites the trio to a house a party at his house and visits the group at the Maplethorpe's house which he compliments in a very quick scene where he's playing piano, just saying, Bob has a nice house. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anthony learns of Inez's love for him and contacts her via phone. Her English has improved and the two rekindle their relationship. The group conducts their heist at the cold storage facility with Applejack and Kumar. This is, by the way, the very first uh, uh, appearance of Kumar uh, Palana, as Kumar in the film. Kumar, unfortunately, is not with us anymore, but he was a mainstay of Wes Anderson's films for mm-hmm. the following next handful, I think through Darjeeling Limited. Um, he also, you know, and this, another thing about this film, it's all shot in Dallas. So you know, oh, okay. all, the, all the cars have That's like cool. Texas stickers on them. And like the 
factory scene where that they rob here at the end is uh, you know that's in texas and kumar is a person who owns a vegan restaurant in dallas so oh. when we lived in dallas we could go to his restaurant and i did a few times and it was great great restaurant nice yep hey what's that uh i was reading today there was something on twitter about um some some like cafe that animators used to go to in la closing down oh it's mark is it market city cafe I used to go there yeah, that's like sad. every day. Man. Terrible news. That's terrible. Also, I mean, beyond that, um, the Dallas Comedy House closed down for good. And uh, Cap City closed down in Austin, which Cap City was the biggest comedy club. One of the, one of the biggest comedy clubs in the country uh, closed down. Super uh, huge bummer. Huge, uh, and and for like those comedians and performers out in Dallas and Austin, totally, uh, totally, my heart goes out to you. This is such a detour, but it's hard. Ever like in L.A. Yeah, <laughs> in L.A., you know, I, I, if UCB doesn't close down, I doubt a lot of people are going to want to go back to it. Which means that there are, there is like almost zero comedy clubs, like improv, like black box theaters. Like that, yeah. I mean, no, it's like groundlings in the pack, and that's about it. And it's and it's all of all L.A., which I is think crazy. It's gonna, I I think there's gonna be, uh, I don't know. I I think I think it could be kind of cool where there's definitely gonna be a lot of like DIY shows and stuff. Yeah, and then like these little things will pop up, like nonprofit theaters and stuff, and then eventually it'll get back to. Um, maybe not exactly what it was. Maybe it shouldn't get back to what it was. Hey, but good point. I don't know. I think there'll be like a cool sort of DIY element mm-hmm. to it. Same with music a little bit too. I mean, that would be sweet. I'm all about that. Um, uh, the group conducts the heist in the uh, cold storage facility with Applejack and Kumar accomplices from Mr. Henry's landscaping company. The plan quickly falls apart with Kumar unable to crack the safe. Uh, Kumar's whole like part in this heist is the <laughs> funniest thing from him not cracking the safe to locking himself in the freezer for no reason and then coming out and saying stuff like I've lost my touch man I lost my I lost my touch man like it's so funny because uh, you're indignant's I think quote back to him is like what touch did you even ever have to lose? Like he's like, <laughs> he's like suddenly questions Kumar's competency at all. Um, Applejack, uh, Bob accidentally fires his gun, which in turns, <laughs> which in turn triggers a cardiac event in Applejack. <laughs> so Bob fires his gun. Applejack has a heart attack. The, the police arrive. Dignan has locked himself out of the escape van. Uh, this is where he has the, the great line. He says to Luke Wilson, which is like, uh, they're never gonna catch me, man, because I'm innocent. Uh, so st- so stupid. Uh, Dignan locks himself out. He then runs through the entire um, the entire cold storage facility from the police. Ends up getting arrested with a smile on his face, being dragged out of the <laughs> out of the cold storage facility. Uh, all the while, um, Mr. Henry is uh, loads furniture from Bob's house into a truck. Later, Anthony and Bob visit Dignan in prison to tell him how Mr. Henry robbed Bob's house. While Bob and Anthony are saying good, uh, their goodbyes, Dignan begins rattle, uh, rattling off an escape plan and tells his friends 
to get into uh, position for a getaway. After a tense moment, the two realize Dignan is joking. Dignan says to Anthony, isn't it funny that you used to be in the nut house and now I'm in jail? As he walks back into prison. And that is the end of Bottle Rocket. Very funny movie. You know, I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna have like a change of heart. Not that I've ever like despised Wes Anderson movies, mm-hmm. but uh I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna start appreciating Wes Anderson a little bit more uh with this rewatch. Yeah, I mean it's it's just I hope you do. Um but you know, I mean, who knows? We'll see what happens. Like it's a it's we got a long road ahead of us. Um it will be We'll be always watching Wes Anderson movies after a Paul W.S. Anderson movie. So I think that's very funny and might also yeah. make your judgment <laughs> a little clouded by like having just seen something yes. like Mortal Kombat. <laughs> we'll also be watching every Paul W.S. Anderson movie after a Paul Thomas <laughs> <Yeah>. Anderson movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But that is uh, that is the road. That is the crown of thorns we bear for you, the podcast listener. Uh, we appreciate you, by the way. Thanks for listening to the show. Um this has been great. It was really fun to revisit this for me. Eric, what was um, your overall impressions leaving this film, having now seen it again? It's a very funny movie. Big fan. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Kind of echoing what I said earlier, as you can like tell. I love like a I love a freshman film like this. You can just tell it was like a labor of love. You know, this is Wes Anderson's Eraserhead. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Just Owen Wilson wearing a wearing a yellow jumpsuit. It's great. Um big fan. Out of four Chucky Freckles, mm-hmm. I give Bottle Rocket mm-hmm. a perfect four out of four. Oh unprecedented. Whoa. I love that. I love that. Um Jeremy, what about you? I'm going to give Bottle Rocket a 3.2, no, 3.5. I'm going to give it a 3.5. Chucky Freckles out of four. All right. Well, if you listened to our last episode, or if you missed our last episode, Paul W.S. Anderson's shopping got a two out of four from me Mm -hmm. and a 1.5 from Jeremy. (laughs) So so far, Wes is in the lead, uh, you know, but uh, who knows? Who knows? You know, I we're watching Hard Eight next time, right? Hard That's Eight is right. the first Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, I was racking my brain trying to think if I have ever even seen Hard Eight. I think this might be a movie that I've like is has been on my list in my head, and I just have never seen it because I was like looking at stills from it, and I'm like, damn, I feel like this is a movie that I've been telling myself I should see so much that I just assume that I've seen it. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited. Yeah. I'm excited to watch Hard Eight. I'm excited I too. I, th- I also think it's really interesting that Wes Anderson and Paul Thomas Anderson, first films both came out in 96. Like their careers a- started at the same time. That's crazy. Wild. Yeah. Well, they are twin brothers. That's right. That That is right. Yeah. So, I mean, they both had the same head start. <laughs> But, you know, if you're jonesing for us to talk about some, uh, you know, cause some gambling-related content, sign on up for that Patreon, patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. We just did an epic episode, uh, an epic five-hour episode <laughs> on, 
<laughs> the film Casino. Damn it. It's not five hours. I hope it's not <laughs> I five do hours. Too. <laughs> uh, it's longer than the film Casino. Mm. No, we just did an episode on Casino for Mafia Month. We'll be doing... Uh, I guess we'll talk on there about what we're going to do next. Uh, obviously, we got some horror movies coming up. We take fan requests. Uh, it's a great time. Jeremy, anything you want to plug before we sign off? No way. Just hit up that Patreon. You can follow me on Twitter at Ocarina of Crime. And uh, keep on, uh, you know, keep on moving in. Keep on seeing those movies. Beautiful. Po- poetic. <laughs> Uh, Norma, I'll see you in my dreams.